Benoit from Vintage Leaf Memories. Uh, Michael Stevens, as always, uh, my friend, colleague, and sidekick here for episode 23 of the show. Michael, before we bring in our guest, and we're, we're, we're thrilled to have uh, a gentleman from uh, the Tampa Bay Tribune, a mainstream uh, hockey beat writer, and has been for over a decade with the Tribune, and we'll introduce Eric in a second. But I just, Michael, we haven't chatted for a, a bit. Um, since in the time since you and I last chatted on one of these programs, the, there's been sort of despair in Leaf World and, you know, a lot of joy and hope and all of that, you know, sort of a lousy, I don't know if it was a lousy effort, not a great game in, against the Panthers the other night. Where are you sitting right now? Are you in that sort of hopeful mode that things have been turned around? Still on your anti-Carlisle bandwagon? Where, sorry, no offense. Where are you right now? Because you can't fire him after they've won like 10 games in a row. It's kind of hard to do to the coach. So where are you sitting right now, Michael? Well, I'm actually, if you're Lou Lamorello, you can fire a coach any point in the season and just... With, you'll, with you'll, three games to go, even. Exactly, and you'll ensure success. So um, You win a Stanley Cup, even, yeah. Well, okay, uh, it's fair to say that the people who've been calling for Carlisle's head really don't have much of a claim right now because the Leafs were flirting with fourth spot in the conference, you know, before, before the, the loss on Tuesday. So, um you know, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to be down on the Leafs right now, and maybe a big part of it was that we haven't, you know, interacted much in the last little bit. Maybe we were the cause of the Leafs' struggles. Who knows? Uh, know, but that's but, an interesting take. I I'd never thought that you and I were sort of seminal influences on on either Car Carlisle's decision making or how the Leafs play. But maybe we should consider that because if they go if they go south after this, maybe we won't do this again. Well, no, it's a hundred percent verifiable there, but. Uh, no, I, you know, it's, I had an interview about uh, hockey statistics today uh, with the CBC, and, and that kind of hammers home the point that it's not so much that the Leafs are winning, it's that I think a lot of people want the Leafs to win well by the numbers, and they aren't doing that, and that's, that's, that still remains a problem. I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about their, their season because they went on a streak that, saved, that salvaged the season and makes it very likely that they can kind of you know, play 500 hockey and actually get into the playoffs. And you know what, Michael, doesn't it, seriously, you know, adjusting aside, it, doesn't it just make it more fun at least to follow these guys? I mean, it's oh. not a lot of fun to, wa to watch a team, and if all we're doing is whining about the fact that this guy's playing lousy, the coach is an idiot, I mean, I'm sorry, there's not a lot of, of fun in kicking a crappy team around, but this is, this is more fun to me. Oh, and it, certainly it is. It's always, I always have more fun... Uh, you know, watching the Leafs win—it's—it's it's good to watch a good team. And that's why you—if you, if the sport is about entertainment, what's more entertaining than winning, right? And you know what? With Bernier playing well in goal, with with Kessel and and company skating and skating well, and scoring goals, it has been entertaining. Our guest is Eric Erlinson from the Tampa Bay Tribune. And Eric, I want to first of all thank you for joining us, taking the time. I know it's game day for you. Uh, and you were able to carve out a little bit of time for us. So first of all, welcome to the program, the Maple Leaf Hangout. Michael and I appreciate it. Declan, who's producing the show behind the scenes, who set this up, appreciates it as well. Thank you for being here. That's my pleasure. This is my first Google Plus Hangout, so hey, I'm uh, I'm kind of popping my chair here. Hey, you know what, and you're making a little bit of history, or we are, or something, and that that's fun. Now, listen, quick question, which was not on my sort of boilerplate of questions that I thought I wanted to ask you, uh, and Michael just raised, though, an issue that we talk about in Toronto a lot. I'm not a big stats guy, not anti-stats. I think they are part of an informed awareness of what your players and your club is doing. I'd be interested to know a team like Tampa, Steve Eiserman, longtime Red Wing, worked under Ken Holland, you know, Jimmy Davilano, everybody in Detroit worked with Scotty Bowman. 
Where is a guy like Iserman in terms of the whole advanced stats world, in terms of decision-making, what it means to, to him, the Lightning, the franchise? Is he a big stats guy, or what, what's your perception from either talking to or knowing, knowing Steve? Well, I've never had an in-depth conversation with Steve on this topic, uh, but they do have actually somebody on staff whose title is Statistical Analyzer. So they do put that stuff to use. I don't know exactly how they use the Corsi and all those other numbers, and I'm not overly familiar with those myself, but it is something that they do use. And in asking some of the people behind this, the scenes, you know, when they're asked, you know, what help does it do, they say it's very helpful. It, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to determine whether a team wins or loses a game. We all know that. But they do find it very helpful in the way they, they, they sort of analyze and sort of break down things and kind of put them to use. And Guy Boucher was actually pretty big on, on this kind of stuff. Uh, so the guy that they have hired is actually a carryover from Guy Boucher, but they've kept him on. And, and certainly if, he, if Steve Eisenman didn't think it was worthy, uh, you know, Michael Peterson would not still be on the staff. And I was just going to say Boucher because he was an intense coach and actually very successful in his early times with, with Tampa, correct? And now John Cooper is in place. Different coach, different temperament, different personality. Is Cooper a guy who looks at these stats? Or again, is it just part of an overall organizational awareness situation? It's part. It's not the final arbiter. It's part of their deliberations when determining how a guy is playing and who should be playing and all that stuff. It's a piece of the puzzle, and sure. I think that you know any coach nowadays, any any team, any franchise, really any sport. I mean, certainly, the NBA has really jumped on this bandwagon as well. Uh, but if you're not trying to find a way to utilize some of those tools that you have at your disposal, you're probably not doing your job to your full capacity. So I think anybody nowadays, whether they have a huge belief in, in, in the way that these stats are, are translated or not, I think a lot of teams now at least look into them and, and try and at least give tendencies and stuff like that. We all know everything, especially in hockey, the game happens so fast. Uh, you can't just use the numbers to determine a, a winner. There's so much that goes on. There's so many intangibles. But if you're not looking at trends, you're probably not doing you know, your job to your full capacity. That's well said. Let, let me just do the, the classic question that, that I guess anybody would ask, and I'm sure Michael is chomping at the bit to get in and, and ask some stuff. Uh, Stamkos is a big name in Canada. You know that. He's obviously a huge name for the Lightning. We all know that you, when I say your club, you're not a fan. You, you, you do this for a living. But what I mean is the Tampa team has not only survived without Stamkos, I'd say they've done pretty darn well without Steven. And I think a lot of us are a bit shocked because I'm not sure a lot of us thought that the Lightning had that kind of resolve and depth. But clearly they do. Uh, so maybe two parts to the question, then Michael can jump in afterwards. They obviously miss Stamkos, but not much on the on the, the point sheet. And he's back now, but not fully, as you were telling me before we kicked off the show today, not fully 100% healthy, so he's not been given the license to play yet, right? Yeah, he's not ready to play. Uh, that's that's the whole reason. Like he said this morning that he fully went into his meeting with the doctors yesterday expecting that he would be playing tonight. He figured that if he got the clearance, he would be back in the lineup tonight. But in the detailed CT scan, which is basically a 3D image of the bone and the way it's healing, the doctor said, look, it's not 100%. I'm not comfortable giving you clearance to return to NHL action. Uh, so based on that recommendation, they shut it down. So, no, he's not coming back uh, tonight. He won't come back until, you know, the next earliest game now would be the 27th of this month 
uh, when the NHL resumes action. They play in Nashville that night. So that's the earliest he will come back. This is a little bit like the Brett Favre thing then. Remember Brett Favre thought he would be back sooner than he did for a playoff game, and the doctors basically every week told him, no, sorry, you're yeah, just and, not ready. You know, the probably good thing here is that this was not a gray area. This was black and white. The doctor said the bone is not healed 100%. It's not proper. So at least at least the decision was taken out of uh, Steven Stamkos's hands, and it was taken out of Steve Eiserman's hands uh, based on the doctor's recommendation. So there's no gray area. There's no what-ifs. There's no... Because we all know if, if the doctor said, well, it looks okay, Stephen, it's up to you, we all know which way Stephen was going to choose. There's no doubt about it, 100% he was going to play. Uh, yeah, but that was taken out of his hands. So, so how have the Lightning, then Michael jump in after, how have the Lightning managed without the, one of the best players in the world to be where they are in the standings for the past couple of months? Well, uh, there's, there's three reasons. Uh, first and foremost, you have to look at their goaltending, and any successful team has to have good goaltending. Ben Absolutely. Bishop, uh, is a Vezina candidate, and some would say he's probably a Hart Trophy candidate. Uh, just based on the way he's played, he's got a sub 2.0 goals against average. His save percentage is, is in the tops amongst the league. Um, he's he's really given them confidence and really solidified a position that has not been... Uh, it's been a revolving door in goal since 2004 after Nikolai Habibullin left. They have not found somebody to stabilize that position, and Ben Bishop has come in and done that. He's given them the confidence that when they do have defensive breakdowns, more times than not, he's come up with a big save when they've needed it. So that's the big reason, number one, and any team has that, uh, that as successful as a good goal team. Number two, it's a different style of system that this team has played uh, than it was under Guy Boucher. It's a more structured uh, defensive system, especially in their own zone, where under Guy Boucher, he wanted two defensemen to swarm the puck. They wanted three guys around the puck at all times, and that exposed them too much on the back door. Uh, and NHL teams and NHL players are too good not to figure that out. So it's a little bit more of a structured defense. Number three, they have a lot of rookies on this team, but these rookies have also come up through the ranks with John Cooper, Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat, Radko Gudis, Mark Barbario. They've all played for John Cooper at the American Hockey League level for at least three years. They won a championship with John Cooper uh, two years ago with Norfolk. They went back to the Calder Cup Finals last year. John Cooper was up in Tampa at that time but those players were still playing in the farm system and led that team back to the Calder Cup. So you take those three things, that's, that's how they've been able to sort of survive uh, and actually in some ways thrive without their, you know, one of the best goal scorers in the league. Michael? Well, I was going uh, to say, I'd, if I were to add a couple other things to that list as, if, on my end as why I think the, uh, the Lightning have been successful, uh, Victor Hedman has been uh, terrific offensively. I mean, he's on pace for 55 points or something. He's already put up uh, about 30-something 30, 30 points, 10 goals. Uh, that's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, we haven't seen it since fifth season in the league, and he never cracked 50 or he never cracked 30 points uh, prior to it, and now it seems like a lock that he's going to get to 50. Uh, how much has he been an impact uh, on, on Tampa's success that he's developed that game or that he's, you know... Uh, it, improved his overall 200-foot ability on the ice. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. Victor Hedman has taken that next step this year. Um, there's always going to be a big expectations on a guy who was selected second overall like he was uh, uh, you know, behind John Tavares in the draft in 2009. Um, the big thing with Victor this year is he hit the 300-game mark this season. And you know, John Tortorella, when he was here in Tampa, used to always talk about 
uh, you know, defensemen needed 200 between 250 and 300 games to figure out how to play in their own end. There's so many reads and so many things that come at you so fast um, that it just takes time to figure that all out. So he's he's learned that part of the craft. Under John Cooper and the system that they play, they really, really want the defenseman to jump up, join the rush, be part of the offense, whether it's leading the rush, whether it's trailing the rush, coming up in the offensive zone. And Victor is so fast, he's so smart, that he's really thrived under that system. And that's a big reason why his point production is he's already surpassed his career high in both points and goals. Uh, and that's with a guy who's missed, uh, you know, probably about a dozen games uh, at various points this year through injury. So he is a big reason. He has really developed into that number one defenseman that a lot of people thought he would be. And I mean, it certainly has. On another uh, on another side of it, though, I'd also say uh, uh, Val Filippola has been hugely important uh, as a as a free agent. I mean, he's probably been the best free agent signing. Uh, you know, any of the big center signings that were made over the summer, he's probably been the best. It's you know, he's been. Certainly, when healthy, he's been producing, and he's been helping to, you know, lighten the load down the middle that uh, that Sam goes created right with the injury. Well, especially when you consider that you know he wasn't brought in here to be a number one center, you know, and he's probably not a natural number one center. He was he was brought in to be the number two guy, and since Steven went down, he's been the number one guy. He's the guy out there for a lot of the key faceoffs. He's been on the number one power play unit, um, and he's a guy. You know, the Lightning hadn't played the Red Wings that much really the past few years. So you knew who Val Filippola was, but you didn't really understand what kind of a player he was, and he was overshadowed by Nicholas Lidstrom and Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg and the big names that they have uh, in the Red Wings organization. So he comes here, and he's put in a situation where he's asked to carry a little bit more load, uh, where he's given more responsibility, and he's just thrived with it. Um, his puck protect, uh, protection is just, it's off the charts good. You know, you, you watch Pavel Datsuk, and then you watch Val Filppula, and you see the influence that Datsuk has had on a guy like Filppula because he's so good at that, um, and he's a reliable guy at both ends of the ice. And that's a big reason why this team went after him when they bought out Vinny LeCavalier in the summer um, so that uh, uh, he's come in and just filled the role better probably than even they expected. And I remember when they signed him, uh, on free agency day, that there was a lot of criticism. Oh, geez, you overpaid for this guy. He's not going to be that productive. Well, you know, we're only 50-some-odd games in the season. He's already at 20 goals, so that just shows you how good he's been. Well, and you know, what's interesting to me, and I think that was a great question and a great comment, Michael, what, Eric, what you're saying, you know, a lot of people, even in Tampa, fans would not have known Philpola very well because they didn't see Detroit a lot. We haven't seen the Red Wing now this year more than moving conferences but if you don't see certain players, you just don't know. But you know who did know was Steve Eiserman, who we talked about before. That's the important guy. And he knew, obviously, what he was getting and what he was buying. So that, that makes a huge difference. Let me ask you a question, though. I want to talk about the old – I think he's the oldest guy in your team. Your team, again, like a, they're your team. Uh, the <laughs> Lightning. Uh, St. Louis, who, I mean, at the age of 58 or whatever he is, just continues to play at a level like, I think, Le Cavalier, some would say maybe, you know, his play had fallen off, thus worthy of a buyout, um, you know, and and Brad Richards, who was there years ago, and then in, in with the Rangers, struggling off and on. St. Louis just seems, because those were the core guys when they won the Cup 10 years ago, but St. Louis, how does this little guy, the Yvon Cornwaye of his generation, how does this guy, now worthily added to Team Canada, with Stamkos not there, how does he do it? Is it just determination and willpower at this point? 
Well, that that's certainly a big part of it. And, you know, Marty's a guy who's been told no his whole career, right? You know, from the moment uh, he went undrafted out of the University of Vermont, despite the success he had in college, he was always told along the way, too small, you're not going to make it, it's a big man's game, all this other stuff. So he's always played with a little bit of that chip on his shoulder. Yes. Um, but there's two other things with Marty. First of all, he's a workout freak. Uh, and, and if you ever seen his legs, you understand why. Um, he works so hard over the summer in his training to get ready. He hardly takes any time off from the end of the season to the beginning of training camp. So that's a big factor in it. And number two, he doesn't take the punishment. You know, you mentioned Vinny LeCavalier and sort of the drop-off in his game. He's a big man who's taken a lot of punishment through the years. Marty St. Louis doesn't take those kind of hits. He doesn't have that kind of mileage on his body. And the fact that he didn't really break into the NHL until he was about 24, 25 years old. Uh, so he was a little bit of a late uh, start to his NHL career. So that's a lot of things. So, yes, he is 38. Uh, he does have the age. He's showing a little bit of gray in the beard and the hair and, and everything like that. But, you know, he still plays like he's 28 years old instead of 38. Someone say he plays like he's 25. Uh, he just goes out there, and, and he's such a great example for young players on this team to follow because he has that same work ethic uh, day in, day out, every game, every practice, whatever it is. He's always the guy working the hardest. How is Keith Ollie doing, the ex-Leaf? He was somebody I liked here. Not everybody in Toronto did, you know, kind of limited skills, but I think a big heart. I know he doesn't play big minutes, been a healthy scratch a fair bit. You know, he was part of the, the Ashton trade and, and uh, you know, trade of former, you know, reasonably high draft choices. Ashton, I think, was a first-rounder for, for Tampa. But but is Ollie making any kind of contribution? I know his minutes are very modest, doesn't play all the time, or is he is he going to be traded by Tampa, do you think? Well, there was a report that came out uh, not long ago that uh, you know it, he was available if teams wanted to take a flyer on him. He's you know he hasn't found his niche yet uh, here. Um, he had a broken hand that kept him out for a month. He suffered it in early December, kept him out until uh, towards the end of January. Uh, so he did miss some time with injury, but he had been in and out of the lineup at that point. He's basically dressed as a seventh defenseman uh, when he has been in there. Um, so it's been a bit of a struggle for him to find his place here and. Uh, you know, he's such a great guy. You cheer for him. You want him to do well. Uh, he's got a big heart. Uh, he's got that big size, and I think that's really what a lot of teams would probably want to see out of Keith is maybe see him use uh, his size to his advantage a little bit more and be a little bit more physical. Sure. Michael? Well, I wanted. To, I actually wanted to uh, touch back on Marty St. Louis because not only is he one of my favorite players, he's also probably everybody's one of everybody's favorite players. Um, because, no, he's I mean, a lovely story. Everybody likes the underdog story. And he also just produces. Um, one thing I will say, though, with his late addition to Team Canada, I guess should the uh, the Bolts be worried that uh, you know this guy who might be a, a workout freak, but you know time only moves in one direction, and if he's you know he's he's now not getting two weeks off that that he might have had otherwise, um, how is that? Is that a concern that he might be too tired? Because you know the Bolts are are poised to do damage in the playoffs, not just make them, but do damage. And you want to have that guy healthy and, and have that guy rested if possible. There's certainly, uh, that's in the back of somebody's mind somewhere in this organization, there's no doubt, um, because he, he, he plays a lot of minutes. He plays 22, 23 minutes a night. I, I believe he's top two or three in forwards uh, ice time this year. Uh, so, yeah, certainly you do think about that a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, you're not sure what his role is going to be. Um, you know, is he going to take Steven Stamkos's uh, right wing spot on that top line with Sidney Crosby and Chris Kunitz? You know, I don't know. Is he going to be the 14th forward and maybe he doesn't even dress that much? You know, so I guess it depends on, on how much he's going to play while he's over there, uh, what his role is going to be, how much his minutes are going to be. But 
sort of the great thing about being on Team Canada is your fourth line could be a number one line pretty much anywhere else. So you don't have to play the heavy minutes. Those minutes are going to be spread out pretty good. So um, the opportunity, though, for, for Marty, especially having been left off the 2010 team, having initially been left off this team, uh, I, I think that you know you wanted him to do this. I think anybody in the organization would say they wanted this for Marty. Except for Steve Eiserman initially. <laughs> initially, yes. And maybe a few others on that committee. Yeah, and that had to be tough. Michael, I want to bounce something off you and then in, in turn ask Eric the question. Is it conceivable, you follow this stuff so closely, um, could you could we project right now, if the standings finished where they are right now, uh, we wouldn't be playing Tampa in, in, in an early round or would we? Uh, had had uh, the Leafs gained even one point on Tuesday, uh, that would still be the case. They were uh, they were in third in the Atlantic uh, uh, for a while. They've been kind of battling it out with the Habs, who've been on a on quite the losing streak to help us catch up. Um, but yeah, that would have been if if the Leafs can actually manage to get back into uh, third in the Atlantic, and presumably the the, the Lightning stay in second. They, that would be the first round matchup, and uh, I think that'd be a really fun series. I was just, thank you, Michael. I was just going to say then, Eric, that, okay, give us the perspective then from Tampa. We are so, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. The Leafs, Leaf people, uh, no, no, thank you. I, I mean, that's <laughs> at least that, okay? So, but I think there, you know, the, 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 the everyday Leaf fan does have an appreciation for the rest of the league, right? It's not, I mean, yeah, they love the Leafs, they follow the Leafs, talk about the Leafs, you know, 18 hours a day, but there is some awareness, generally speaking, of what's going on in the rest of the, the hockey world. Give us, flip that around for us. Give us the Tampa perspective. If you, as Michael just said, if you, the, the, um, the, the team you cover, the Lightning, were to play the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round or any round of the playoffs, what would be Eiserman, John Cooper, what would, the play, what would they be saying about Toronto? Who do, they, who do they think about in terms of the Leafs? What do they think of the way the Leafs play the game, the matchups? Give us a Tampa perspective of, of either the level of respect, not fear, but awareness of what the Leafs can do and, and the kind of opposition they would be in a playoff series. Well, certainly we saw it last week and Tuesday that uh, you have to respect that first line for Toronto, that Bozak, Kessel, Van Riemsdyk line. You know, they ended up scoring the winning goal there. It was a great play by Tyler Bozak to pressure the puck off of Racco, Racco Gudis in the defensive zone and it set up the winning goal. So you have to respect uh, that top line for no doubt. And and certainly in, in a, a seven-game series, that, that line would probably see a lot more of Victor Hedman and Sammy Sallow uh, as opposed to Racco Gudis and Matt Carl. Uh, as they did uh, in scoring that game-winning goal the other night. So that's that's the first and foremost thing you have to look at. And then just after Toronto took the lead, Marty St. Louis has a golden chance to score, and Jonathan Bernier comes up with a tremendous save. So uh, as we talked about with Ben Bishop, any successful team has good goaltending. Uh, and certainly I know that uh, uh, Bernier's numbers have been really good this year. I think I saw a stat, what is he, 7-1-2 when facing 40 or more shots was just a phenomenal stat for a goaltender. Um, so those are the two areas that you really have to look at. I, I think... I think a lot of teams would look to try and find a way to, to, to pressure their defense, uh, especially in their own end, to kind of create turnovers on their end. If, if there's an area you want to try and exploit, I think it's probably pressuring uh, the Maple Leafs in their own end. Interesting. Michael, it, it, that wouldn't surprise you as somebody who has broken down this team, uh, Michael, not only statistically but watching them a lot yourself. Uh, what Eric is saying, that, I'm sure that, that, rings, that rings true for you, pressuring the D. Oh, Certainly pressuring the D. I mean, I, I have actually, this is going to sound a little bit bad, but the Leafs have been so fortunate that, that, that a guy like Steven Stamkos, who has such an amazing shot, 
hasn't been in most of the matchups or any of the matchups they've had against the uh, the Lightning this year because the wins or, or, or the opportunity to get points that the Leafs can get without Stamkos there, he's such a good shooter. Uh, and there are so many great golden opportunities that if, if the Leafs get pressured at all, their defense cannot. It crumbles, and they tend to give up a heck of a lot of shots. Um, you know, from the, from the standpoint of, of pressure and deep, yeah, it doesn't take much, and the Leafs can be pushed around a lot in their own zone, and, and you can really generate, you know, the balance of the chances and keep them hemmed in. It's not, it is not difficult. It happens very regularly. No, absolutely. So, Eric, final thing for me. It, does Tampa have the forechecking? You just talked about, I don't know about the size, but do they have the forechecking that could put, not just on the lease, but any team, if, as a serious playoff contender? Tampa, clearly, unless they, they, you know, they have their own major disaster in, the, in, the, in, the, in March, they're going to be in the playoffs and solidly entrenched and probably have a pretty good seat. Do you see them objectively? I'm sure you, you can look at them objectively. Do you see them as, a, as, a, as an Eastern Conference winning threat? Or are they still a team that's kind of in that building process and they're maybe not quite ready to quote-unquote win everything yet? Well, they have a goaltender that can give them a chance every night, no matter who they play. Um, and that's that's a job that Ben Bishop has done. I think if you want to look at a, a breakdown of seven-game playoff series, you know, they don't have the size. They're not a big team. You know, they have some some players with some size. But overall, you know, Tyler Johnson, Palat, Marty St. Louis, you know, even Steven Stamkos, they're not big players. They're not going to be a team that can wear you down in their own end. What they utilize is their speed. They are a very fast team, uh, probably among the fastest in the league. And that's where their forecheck comes into play. It's not a punishing forecheck. It's a speed forecheck. And, and they like to get in on pucks quickly. Uh, they, like to, they don't like to do a whole lot of dump and chase. And, and is that a product of their size? You know, maybe maybe that plays into it a little bit, uh, but they are a team that likes to use their speed, and that's where their forecheck comes into play. Michael, do you have a final question before we let Eric go? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I guess maybe less a question and more a comment. For the Lightning, why I guess I would think that, that they could be a bit of a dark horse to, uh, to come out of the East is they already have the best trade deadline acquisition in getting Steven Stamkos back. No, they really do. I mean, it's... It's right. this. This is a team. This is a team that's held its head well above water without their best player for the last like three months. Um, you know, you you ask yourself, could Phil Kessel do that, or could the Leafs do that without Phil Kessel? You wonder. You pro probably not. But this team can do that. And then you're going to add arguably the best player in the game, or second best player in the game, maybe, uh, to that lineup. I think with again good goaltending and a star player like that, it I I could totally see them. Uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not representing the East in the Stanley Cup Finals, but I could see them making the Conference Finals anyway. Yeah, you know what? That's a great point. Uh, you know, everybody's going to talk about the trade deadline, and it's going to come up quick as soon as we get out of the Olympic break. Uh, I think less than a week after we get out of the break is is the trade deadline. Well, the Lightning are already getting the best possible trade you could ever think of. They're getting a 60 goal scorer back in their lineup. That you know, those don't come along, so that's going to be a huge boost. There's no doubt. Uh, and the fact that they've been able to, to win games, you know, they've gotten production through their lineup. You know, we all know Marty's gone on a tear since the Olympic team was uh, uh, announced back in the early parts of January. Uh, Tyler Johnson has picked up his game. Andre Plot has picked up his game. You know, uh, Val Filppula has been a pretty consistent guy. So they've gotten some, some good scoring without Steven Samkos in the lineup. And if you put him back in, that's basically a goal per game. Uh, and that's the way that the numbers kind of break down. He was averaging almost a goal per game when he went out. And to get that back in the lineup, you're right. I mean, they, they do have the – the only thing that I would worry about with them, like, like we mentioned, they don't have the size to punish and wear teams down in a seven-game series, and they have a lot of young players. 
the young players know how to win. They've done it at the American Hockey League level, but we know it's a little bit different at the NHL level. You get that first taste of NHL playoff experience. There's nothing to compare it to. You know, they all say that maybe the AHL playoffs is close, but it's it's not. It's not even close to the intensity uh, that you're going to feel and the physical the physicality. You know, I, I think back to the 2011 in the first round. Steven Stamkos' first shift, and it's his first taste of NHL action. He goes down in the corner and just gets destroyed by Brooks Orpik, and that was his wake-up call. That's the kind of stuff you're going to get. So with so many young players, that's the only bit of concern I would have uh, going into the playoffs uh, I- I- this season. But no matter what, it's going to be a great experience for those guys down the line, and, and we'll keep this franchise on the path that Steve Eiserman has had in mind since he took over three years ago. Eric, successful path so far, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I second that, Michael. I, I, you know, Tampa is, uh, they are a team, and you know, credit to, to Iserman. It's not just Iserman, but because there have been some difficult times over the past few years. Things looked really good at first under Boucher, then the, things kind of slid. Um, and Eric, you've been there right from the get-go. You were telling me before we went on. Just one quick aside, so people know a little bit of your background. Your folks are from Iceland, which I think is 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 fascinating. And they moved. You were saying to. Uh, was it Massachusetts back in the late yep. 60s? Yeah, my dad moved to Massachusetts in uh, 68. That's where he met my mom. My mom is actually from outside of Boston. Uh, so that's where they met. That's where I kind of grew up. But, uh, yeah, my dad is an Icelandic uh, native. Interesting. And and you've been – but you've and that leads to – you've been covering the, the hockey beat for the Tampa Bay Tribune since the early 2000s. So you were there for the cup run with Tortorella and a younger St. Louis – and and uh, and the guys we mentioned before, Richards and and Le Cavalier and others. It wasn't just those three guys, Habby Bull and that, but they they won a cup. Lee fans can only look sort of with a certain forlorn sense that a one of these uh, warm weather NHL franchises that that people in in Canada sometimes wonder about won a Stanley Cup while the rest of us are on the outside looking in. But listen, thank you. I appreciate the insight, all the good stuff that you uh, you shared with us about. The lightning and a little bit of stuff behind the scenes, Eric. That that was wonderful. So we appreciate your taking the time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. More than welcome. You take good care, Eric. All right. Thank you. Uh, so Michael, and let's let's you and I finish up with just a couple of minutes on on the Leafs. Um, we mentioned we were talking earlier about. Um, uh, there was a reference. I think Eric made a, a, a reference to a, a great save Bernier made against. St. Louis. You and I have talked about Reimer, Bernier. Bernier clearly, clearly, clearly has established himself as as the number one guy. Um, but I did want to raise one point, which I think is fascinating. I think Bernier has 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 been remarkable. I think he's played really well, you know, and and clearly is is the guy. I think he's been the choice since the day he was traded for. We all knew he was going to be the number one guy. Uh, he has played well. The save against St. Louis, I just want your sort of objective assessment. Great save. He was in a position to make the save. Now, if St. Louis makes shoots the puck where he wanted to, right, which is in oh, the top corner, no, no goalie makes the save. So I've seen that. Every, I heard a, a, a mainstream ma- uh, radio guy saying, oh, that save was one of the best saves of the season, and that, that cemented that he's number one. I thought, oh, come on, man. Like, goalies make that save every night, okay? It's a great save, and, and it's the shooter shoots right at you. And and he was in a position to make the save. So am I wrong in in going? Am I not giving the guy enough credit? Or like, have I not seen that save like 50 times in the past five years? And that's just what good goalies do. Well, and guys shoot the puck in their in their glove because the glove is in in the lo- in the right place. But if St. Louis puts it up high, 
It's a goal. We're not even talking about a great save. Anyway, well, but that's maybe one of those I'm... funny things. No, but that's one of those funny things because that's actually the condition where it was either going to be a great save or a great goal. That yeah. was, you know, those were those were the outcomes. I mean, I guess you'd say a missed shot, but but un very unlikely uh, from that, you know, from given the shooter and given the uh, the range that he was shooting at. No, I mean, obviously that didn't cement Bernier as the number one. I mean, his acquisition, you're right. You're completely right that uh, his acquisition... It, it was it, done the day he was traded for. It, it was fait accompli, exactly. Yeah. Um, you, but I, I have to admit, I have to admit, it was a really nice save. I thought that was, you yes. know, I think that's going to end up... But it is. It's going to end up in, you know, maybe the top 10 goalie plays of the year or it's going to end up in, you know, the top 50 plays. It just um, I always remember, it, and you weren't even born yet, but Ken Dryden in the 71 playoffs, the finals against ex-league Jim Pappen, made a great save. But Pappen put the puck right into his pads. It was one of those, you know, cross the crease, you know, his legs seemed to come out of nowhere. But if Pappen puts it, you know, four inches higher, it's a goal, and it sort of immortalized Dryden. And, of course, I hated Dryden and the Habs, so I, I, I could not abide having to listen to that for years and years, and what a great save. Well, yeah, it was a good save, but whatever. If, if Pappen had put the puck where he wanted, it wouldn't have been a great save. Most and more important, I want to end with talking about Boland. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing? Has there been a setback on the injury rehab side? Is he coming back? And, and what's this about, you know, uh, some of the mainstream guys are talking about this is not a shock. The Leafs would like to re-sign him, and I guess it's trying to find a point at which is this: Are we going to sign a guy who's going to be the same player he was before he was hurt, or are we going to give a guy a six-year contract who's right now? Well, that's. I mean, is that kind of the crux of the matter right now? Well, I mean, that's the real issue: is that uh, the Leafs? I don't think they should be they should be negotiating with the guy uh, until until he's playing games again. But that's that's that is just my that is just my opinion. I'm not you know I'm not I'm I'm not the uh, the you know in 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 the Leafs brass making those decisions. I would certainly say maybe find out what he can provide uh, and you know when he is healthy again or if he is healthy again. I well, mean, didn't we do this with John Michael Lyles? <laughs> didn't we extend him for like for 25 years when he was in the middle of a concussion layoff? And it's not a knock on Lyles. It has nothing to do with Lyle. But why do you sign a guy then? We all love what Boland brought. Absolutely. And if the guy is healthy, playing like he was, we all want to sign him. Whatever, you know. But but this just seems like an interesting. I, I think the timing is interesting to me. That's all. Well, I, I I agree with you that it is interesting the timing because the the other thing that's coming up right now. There's a couple other things that I've noticed. One is the story on Boland was, oh, I'll be 50-50 to play on this next, you know, b b before the Olympic break, and then it's. Oh, I never really had it. You know, I never really thought it's unlikely that I'm going to be able to play. Uh, they've been kind of going back and forth on when Boland would return. I'm glad that he's that he's going to get the extra two and a half weeks off because of the Olympics. Me too. I think that's I think that's terrific. I think even if he is fine, even if he is fine, the Leafs don't need him in these next two games that critically. You know, if they if they needed to get four points to to you know be in a playoff spot. Uh, Going into the Olympic break, I could see maybe bringing him in. It wouldn't be the best idea, but I could see why you would do it. Um, but giving him that extra rest is is great. The problem is, is that that means that you should, that the Leafs shouldn't be negotiating, you know, a long term extension with him if he's still not playing because they don't know what he looks like. They know what he has done, but this could be a life altering injury, and the smart money would be to wait. Um, but we're we're gonna see the other the other big issue that's come up as well, and uh, this is something that Declan was talking uh, with me about, 
was that uh, it's interesting. They're, they're saying there's, there's negotiations, there's struggles in the negotiations, and then Darren Dreger says there's a trade market for Dave Boland. The Leafs might think about trading him, which if you take that at, 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 at first blush, that, that's, that's just a negotiation tactic, perhaps similar to the Kadri or Franzen negotiations where they're saying, hey, we can get rid of you. We don't need to give you this money. They might be trying to, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke right now, but I'm not sure there's much fire. Well, we, in this market, you know what? And I have to believe half the time the, the mainstream media makes this stuff up. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I know there are always deep throats in other organizations that love to throw names out just to to rattle the cages and get everybody talking, including about the Leafs and and create some unrest. But I mean, come on, we go from Cadre. Can we can we never? be satisfied? I mean, one day we want, you know, everybody wants to trade Kadri, who's like, you know, still just a kid in this league, relatively speaking. Now Boland, who's played 15 games here, we're going to trade him. Because, anyway, all of this stuff is weird. Just a practical thing. Could they, is this like baseball? You know this better than me, even though I've been around forever. I just don't know all this minutia about the cap. And it, can you, could Boland play a couple of games with the Marlies just on sort of an injury rehab thing toward the end of the Olympic break, just so when he comes back to the NHL, he's not completely cold? Or, or would that, would, think, is that not even possible that that could happen? I think because he's still on IR I, uh, heading into the break, there is there's a roster freeze. There is something. James Myrtle was talking about this, uh, or he wrote about it sometime. I think I feel last week. Um, he's not. He would not be able to go down to the Marlies for a conditioning assignment, as far as I understand. As far as the, I can't give you the exact scientific reason as to why or why yeah. stipulated okay. in the rules. But uh, as yeah, I have been led to believe that that uh, he can't, and that I mean it's a shame because if he could play, if he could play a couple of games just to get his legs back under him, I think that would do him a world of good. Um, also, Declan in the in the comments is saying that uh, Boland has been actually practicing with the London Knights uh, to try to get back into, uh, or he's training with the London Knights to get help help himself get back into, which I think is pretty interesting on Boland. Yeah, and they likely won't be able to sneak him into the lineup. I mean, I know they have overage guys, but I think they mean 20-year-olds. I don't think they mean 20 yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't mean... But, but you always joke that what's-his-name with the Sabres? Is it the Sabres, the guy? Is it Greg yeah, Renko? Yeah, yeah, Greg Renko. He's like he's like no, 50. He's, he's not, Michael. He's not he 45. Has, he has grandkids. No, he does not. This is, again, see, this part is untrue. This is where things go off the rails. That part is, is clearly untrue. Um, I hope the CBC, I hope the piece with the CBC went well today. You were talking about advanced stats. I'm not going to uh, try to uh, um, have you disclose all of that, but hope it went well and it was fun to do um, uh, with uh, the CBC, right? They should have a piece on yeah, uh, some yeah. people. Yeah, some people, it's going to be tonight, although some people may not listen to the show till after the, the Tampa game, but after the fact. So, yeah, I hope it went well. Yeah, so it's apparently going to be on at some point between 5 and 6.30 tonight on CBC, which if that sounds if that sounds like a, a, a bit of vague information, uh, it's because I literally don't know what their lineup is like. Well, listen, I, I just want to give you – I noticed you shaved, so I thought it was important, so you must have uh, – I wanted to give you a little plug. Oh uh, well, thank thank you kindly. I was glad to I was glad to do it too. Okay, listen, Michael. Thanks for all of this. Again, uh, you know, we had had a bit of, of a break in between shows, but it's good to be back and doing this. And and uh, Declan behind the scenes as always, and Alec Brownscombe, the 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 great folks who uh, operate Maple Leaf Hot Stove, one of the best hockey sites out there. So listen, take care, Michael. We'll talk to you soon, and we'll thank everybody for listening to what was this again? What did I say at the outset? I can't remember. If Episode 23, I think. Episode 23 of the Maple Leaf Hangout, and uh, listen, hopefully we'll see you soon, and we'll catch everybody next time. Thanks, Michael. Take care, everybody.